1: Friday, everybody. It is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals Podcast coming at you. Hope Houday Nation is doing well. It's a little bit of an impromptu show. And truth be told, I feel bad for my co-host, John Sheeran, because I told him, hey man, I'm out of town most of the most of the week. Let's uh, take the week off. And then I got back a little earlier than expected today. And I said, hey, you know, this was kind of a little bit of a newsworthy week for the Bengals. Let's do an abbreviated show, talk about some of the headlines. And my guy came through joining. And uh, after I, I, I lied to you, John. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Ain't but no rest for otherwise? the weary, man. Ain't no, <laughs> ain't no rest. True, true, true. Sounds like you got a big weekend ahead. As we were kicking things off, T- tell the people about this this thing in case they don't know about it. This oh, uh, beer beer fest that you got going on. Because I'm I'm jealous out here. That sounds like a hell of a good time.
2: Yeah. If you guys see me tomorrow at Jungle Gyms and for the uh, annual beer fest, you did not see me just just, you know, just letting you know guys know right now um it would be me and a couple friends and trying basically every single beer that we can possibly do in the four or five hours that we're there so
1: yeah if you see me you
2: didn't that's all you didn't
1: see it. you didn't see it. or at least don't report on supposed actions or other uh, questionable activities i'm just kidding my guy john he keeps it he keeps it together he keeps it together but have a good time my friend at that Bengals uh, got together this week for mandatory mini camp, and there were some headlines. And I guess the biggest, because we were wondering what was going to happen with this. The biggest was Jonah Williams making an appearance and bringing in some quotes about his, uh, you know, the process this offseason. And, you know, I have to give Jonah Williams a lot of credit. We're going to pull up the quotes in the article on Cincy Jungle. I got to give him a lot of credit. I, I know maybe he didn't handle this the way everybody wanted him to handle uh, the Orlando Brown Jr. signing on the, on the forefront. I know he felt that the team didn't handle this the way that, that he felt they should and at least, not, at least communicate with him what their plans were up front. I think this thing kind of got, you know, moved very fast and the Bengals just kind of had to pounce when they could and didn't really think this was going to be a possibility for them getting Brown. Um, and so Jonah Williams has shown back up. Uh, he's had, I, I guess, a, a baby girl. I didn't know that. So congratulations to him right before Father's Day there. That's pretty cool. And, um, you know, so he's got a lot going on, but he's come, come back here, come back to work. Um, you know, there was a couple of smiles when he was kind of talking, but also, you know, a guy that just kind of said, hey, I'm here to work. I'm here to do what I'm supposed to do. And, you know, I, I, I kind of give him credit for that.
2: I mean, there, there is the alternative. There are players out there right now who aren't at mandatory minicamp or didn't report and they got fined for such thing. Um, so Jonah Williams didn't have to show up, but he did. Because I genuine, genuinely believe he wants to. He wants to be around the team at this point. Like he was doing his own work in California, where he's from, to rehab. To make sure that whenever he returned to the team, he was capable of doing the rehab drills. And, you know, it was nice to see him back. And it was really refreshing, you know, to hear him speak on the subject. And I think he answered all the questions very candidly and about as well as he could have expected. It was very eye-opening to hear from his perspective and the fact that it wasn't necessarily about, you know, moving from left to right. Like that's, it's unfortunate considering that's where he's been practicing. It's where he's been playing for, for the majority of his life. But the the real thing was, it was just the lack of communication, which is an interesting subject because I I think we can all agree, like, you know, the Bengals weren't necessarily obligated to tell him what the plans were or, or to tell him right at that second, what was going down. But, it was interesting to hear if this happens to be true, which I don't think he was he was necessarily lying about it, that the front office, you know, the ownership group has yet to really, you know, make contact with him, despite, you know, him and his agent trying to, you know, see what was going on during that, you know, everything that happened when he found out that, you know, Orlando Brown was signing via Apple News while his wife was forty weeks pregnant out Allen, California. Like it was probably it's probably a lot to process and you know, he managed it the way that he saw fit and he's approaching this next year the way that he sees fit as well which is be with the team rehab on his own schedule and make sure that he's fully 100 percent to compete for the starting job that again it will greatly define how the rest of his career kind of ends up at this point because if he happens to beat out leo collins and jackson carmen that's another year of starting under his belt and he can take that and hopefully he builds off of what he did last year and, and improves in some areas at this new position and he can re-enter the market and and try to see if you can get what he's after.
1: I'm really curious. I'm going to share this one too. Um, I'm really curious to see what happens if if this goes. Uh, I don't know if if it, <laughs> I don't know if the phrase "according to plan" is the right right phrasing here. But I mean, if this goes a, a good direction, where he takes this opportunity at right tackle, wins the job, plays well, and parlays that into a good, you know, a, a, a next. Quality contract and if the Bengals would pursue him on that front because here's this article right here it's on Cincy Jungle Jonah Williams says still no communication with the Bengals front office in terms of his future so the quote here um and like you said this was you you mentioned him learning about the Orlando Brown Jr signing on Apple News um you you can see here I felt that if we were communicating hey you know we have the opportunity to sign this guy and we like him you know we want to bump over and play right tackle we want you to bump over and play right tackle um it sucks like it would be hard to hear but i think in a couple of days would have been like okay let's go let's do it um and i just never got that you know um and so he said so you know since then i've talked to coach taylor i've talked to coach frank pollock and that's given a little bit of clarity but as far as the front office goes i never had that conversation what he also said john was that um you know he mentioned also that his exit interviews he felt went well after the season last year. And I think adding to all of this, we've mentioned it a couple of times, but adding to, I guess, the sensitivity or the emotion with this, with Jonah Williams has to be the fact where he feels like, dude, I played on two busted knees last year. I I mean, and and I came back and I came back and you know, this was painful. This was kind of grueling and I wasn't a hundred percent at times during the season and so I, I think he there's probably a little bit of a, a you know stick in his craw about that, but um, you you kind of said it. I mean, it is a business, and that's where the Bengals decided to go with Orlando Brown Jr. They felt it was an upgrade. They felt like it was something that happened very quickly, and they just they had to spring for it and hope that he comes back, plays right tackle, and things right itself the way it's supposed to on the offensive line this year.
2: I think we can all kind of allude to what was more likely to happen, which was the Bengals finding and external answer at right tackle instead of left tackle and that might that may have just been like hey you know jonah like like okay you're a left tackle like maybe maybe last year wasn't as good as years past but we still we're still confident in you starting for us at this position we're not really looking for any answers until an answer just kind of showed up out the door and they're like it, it the Bengals should have been chastised if they didn't take advantage of the opportunity that was presented to themselves. And that's just kind of how this thing goes. Like the Bengals have a responsibility to do what's best for them. Just like Jonah has a responsibility to do what's best for him. And in this case right now, it's returned to the team and just, you know, play your ass off and hopefully you play it well enough where the Bengals do well and you do well in the open market. So again, like it's, it is a bit weird that I, I guess, you know, Mike Brown has always been known as like a player's owner, if that even exists in today's world. But <laughs> yeah. like it is kind of weird that like this guy's a first round pick and he's the long time starter, and the Bengals still clearly value him as a starter, despite what some fans may think. So you would think that there would be some type, just some type of communication after three months of this, but I guess not. Maybe that's gonna get saved until this whole battle is kind of resolved, and he's uh, you know hopefully still with the team meaning that he, you know, won the battle and is still proven to have value with this team. So we'll see how this develops. But, you know, for right now, it just seems like, you know, he's taking the high road, which is nice.
1: Yeah, it is. And the front office may be in a little bit of a wait and see mode with how this all plays out. But he is back and uh, reported to mandatory minicamp. That was a question that we all had. If he was going to show up, what was the attitude going to be like and what were the questions and the answers to the questions that were being asked. And, uh, he was, he was pretty upfront about it to his credit. He's pretty upfront. Um, and it sounds like he's kind of had an adjustment of focus and I guess attitude. I don't know uh, about the whole scenario, which is good to see and um, looks like he's ready to get to work. Continuing on that, John, um, there's been a, a little bit more on the fun side of things, I guess. Uh, there's been a lot. still some more back and forth with the Bengals and the Chiefs and the players and, and all of that. And as we, as we look at things, of course, Joe Burrow, being the consummate professional, was asked about the best quarterback in the league and who's the best quarterback. And Joe Burrow said it was Patrick Mahomes. And this is from Bengals Wire. We don't credit this great site enough from Chris Rowling. Great site there. Um Joe, uh, Joe Burrow crowns Mahomes as the NFL's best quarterback. So he, he rightfully says, hey, man, this, is, this guy's the king of the mountain right now. Uh, he just came off a Super Bowl win. He just beat us in the AFC Championship game. He is the dude. He's the guy to beat right now. And that's what he is gunning for is Joe Burrow and, and the Bengals to get past the Chiefs once again because that's, you know, where, where they stumbled last year. So from there, you know, Jamar Chase was asked about that. And he said, Pat, Pat, who? Uh, Patrick Mahomes, I I think, tweeted out a a thing where he's, you know, flashing a photo of, you know, the two rings he's won. And, um, you know, I think he said this Pat or something like that. So at any rate, I mean, again, friendly crossfire, sort of. Um, We've got, if you're on Twitter, God forbid you, you take a look at what's happening in the weeds between the fan bases. But, I mean, again, still... You kind of thought maybe the Bengals wouldn't wouldn't say so much after what happened last year and the the buildup and you know the the burrow head and all that kind of stuff, but that is it's kind of continuing again and this rivalry just keeps hitting new levels as we go into twenty twenty three.
2: I really like what Matt Minick, uh said about all of this, and it's that it, it should just be a common principle for any quarterback. To answer the question the way that Burrow did, which is, is "I'm not the best quarterback." It's obviously, you know, X, Y, and Z. And even like Patrick Mahomes, if you were to ask be asked that question, you know, maybe he would say, "You know, we're all like really great in our own way." He would try to dodge the answer. Like, I mean, I think Burrow's right. The answer is pretty clearly that Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback. If you want to just take into account of everything, but on that same level, like if if a teammate of said quarterback is asked that. He should always support his quarterback. In fact, if he doesn't support his quarterback, it honestly just looks worse. Like It's a different dynamic depending on who you ask it. But this is why I don't really care about any of this, Anthony, is because in 30 or 40 years, like sports documentaries are going to look a lot different than they do now because of social media, because there's just a whole new layer to everything that kind of goes on. And if this rivalry kind of continues to develop the way that I think Bengals fans hope it does, which is – the Bengals responding with a couple of Super Bowls of their own. All this stuff is going to be in the documentary, and I think it's just going to make it better. It it just makes the rivalry, it makes the dynamic, it makes just the back and forth just a lot better because this stuff is better than some of the other things that you see in the NFL right now uh, with with some other teams. It's all just fun. None of it's to be taken seriously, but it, it creates content, and 40 years from now, it'll be content that we kind of look back and say, yeah, that was kind of fun when that happened.
1: Yeah, the standards for answering these questions, that's a really good point. The standards for answering these types of questions from different types of players, different guys on different teams, that sort of thing, the standards are different. And when you have a quarterback that says, I'm the best quarterback, or I feel I'm the best quarterback, well, and then that, there's a headline that says, well, what about X, Y, and Z? And, oh, they don't, they're slighting these people, but then, you know, if a teammate doesn't come to the the, you know, the backup of, of their quarterback saying, yeah, that's the guy, you know, it's all of a sudden like, well, why isn't he backing up his own quarterback and saying he's the best? So yeah, it's, it's an interesting dynamic with that. But I mean, I think, I think we can all, if we're going to do again, arbitrary list season right now, we're going to, if we're going to follow that kind of stuff. I mean, that is kind of the natural order, I guess, of quarterback rankings at this point where you have Joe Burrow within that, you know, there's arguments people like to put, you know, Josh Allen maybe above Burrow in some respects and Herbert and, even Lamar Jackson and others. But, I mean, the, the bottom line is those two guys have been the guys who have not only put up the numbers but won the big games in the AFC the last two years, um, and even more so for uh, – even longer for, for Mahomes. So, I mean, that that's it's, – it's just, uh, again, a little bit of that – let's add a little bit more fuel to that Bengals-Kansas City fire for sure. Um, and, and, you know, it's just becoming – even though they're not – in the same division it is becoming kind of one of those great rivalries in the nfl that we've seen between you know peyton and tom brady and all kinds of other great quarterbacks over the years that have battled it out
2: and like i said like none of this is really serious and if you really do take it seriously it's more of a reflection on yourself but at the same time like no one can compete with the chiefs in terms of what they've accomplished in the past five years but the closest team at least in the afc Who can say that is the Bengals like they've beaten them three of the past four times. The point differential still favors the Bengals. And the only time the Chiefs won was off a field goal, which is like all all four of these games have been up to the wire. And the Bengals have, have found a way to get the edge on three of them. But the Chiefs have done more in terms of just getting past that point and actually finishing the job. So no team can really stand with the Chiefs at all. But the closest one is the Bengals. And it doesn't seem like the Bengals players or, you know, the team in general is fearful of the Chiefs. And it just seems like the Chiefs spent a lot of time talking about the Bengals and trying to put down this team, which is interesting to me. But it's just another layer to the rivalry. It's what makes it actually fun because it it wouldn't be fun if, you know, either side was kind of backing down to one another. It's, It's what creates the conversation and sort of creates anticipation for what New Year's Eve is going to be.
1: Well, a Bengals quarterback from yesteryear, John Kitna, who was an architect of one of the great kind of renaissances, a really funny story, by the way, just a total sidebar of this trip I was on. I was on a real short cruise. Uh, I met this guy who was a really, really huge guy um, in terms of size. I mean, I'm talking probably six, seven. um, And he... Was talking to me about you know he, his son with him had a Cincinnati Reds hat on and okay and I had a Bengals hat on that sort of thing, um, and he's like, "Are you a fan of him? And I, yeah, you know, but we just started talking a little bit. Uh, turns out he, uh, I, I think his his name, if I'm not mistaken, Scott Greenawalt. I'll have to double check that, but uh, he is currently the, or at least he told me, he's one of the strength strength coaches for the USC men's basketball team. But he was the strength coach. Back in two thousand three, for the Bengals and Marvin Lewis, um, so he he talked about how he has some ties to the city and all kinds of cool stuff. So, a uh, fun little story, uh, you know, even out of going out of L.A. and out to just a local little spot, you get you get these Bengal connections, kind of fun. But going back to two thousand three, there there is a method to my madness in bringing up that little story there. Um, you see here, John Kitna the guy who won Comeback Player of the Year that year as the Bengals went 8-8, and just missed the playoffs as they lost to the Browns at the end of that season. Um, He recently sat down with um, Jeff Hobson of Bengals.com and talked about how there are some Warren Moon-type elements to Joe Burrow's play, and that's lofty compliments given that Warren Moon is a Hall of Famer, one of the leading passers in NFL history, statistically speaking, Um, namely talking about the deep ball, Um, and I'm old enough to remember John it's not I don't I I think this offense has since evolved from at least what it was when he was with the Oilers um, and and a little bit with Seattle but there was a run and shoot offense that the Houston Oilers under Jerry Glanville would run where it was just kind of a a wacky style of play for lack of better words receivers were kind of moving all over the place and there was a lot of you know adjustments and audibles and all kinds of different things and the Oilers had a pretty potent attack at the time with Warren Moon, but of course, Moon and Kitna played together in Seattle after that. And so, you know, I, I, I guess when I'm why I bring up the run and shoot thing is, you know, there is a little bit of an ad lib element to the Bengals' offense, what Burrow does out of the pocket and all of that, and his ability to scramble out and complete deep passes. And I think that's a little bit maybe of what Kitna was referring to, as well as just ball placement, um, you know, unheralded arm strength, that sort of thing.
2: Yeah, I think it was specifically just accuracy at all levels of the field and, you know, trying to get everyone involved, like, um, that. I think that was what uh, Kidna was more or less referring to. He said, quote, that's what watching Burrow kind of reminds me of. It can be any of them at any time, down the field, back shoulder, the accuracy is off the charts. And I think that's a pretty fair takeaway when watching Burrow, because rarely are any throws, you know, that are at least makeable for him, are they not, like, in the near-perfect placement? And that leads to a lot of Yards after catch opportunities for his receivers and it just leads to big gains when, you know, some quarterbacks it you know might be a little bit behind or might be a little bit too high and it's still a catch, but maybe the play is just dead right there. Burrow has just become so freaking accurate, regardless of what type of throw that it is, regardless of where it is down the field, and obviously throws get more strenuous when you try to put more power onto it when you're trying to get more air under it. But it's just such a catchable ball, and that's what obviously like I never saw Warren Moon play with my own eyes, but like seeing those highlights, it was such a pretty ball, and it was always in the Mm -hmm. perfect spot. Like he was just a generational passer, and I I think Anthony like like Warren Moon is one thing, like Drew Brees is another because that was like Burroughs' hero growing up, and you know they they both didn't necessarily have the strongest arms, but Brees obviously threw an extremely catchable ball too, and I feel like that's always been. The takeaway with burrow and somehow despite him being really accurate in his final year at lsu it's all it's probably only gotten better at this point which is really dangerous
1: yeah there's a a neat video i think it was from dan horde the great dan horde um who does these from practices he always does these cool five uh five bullet point type of takeaways from practices and that sort of thing on twitter and it's a drill where you know burrow's kind of running in and through dummies uh, practice dummies and then know he's about 20 25 yards out from the field goal post and you know just dots it right on the crossbar and the whole point was to you know have him work on throwing accurate making accurate throws when off platform you know all that kind of stuff and so this is they do work on this guy i mean i know a lot of that stuff does kind of come and it and it is on the fly a lot of times but some of that stuff is worked on to to kind of prep The football IQ, the awareness, and the ability to kind of keep the eyes downfield and always keep a play alive, and that's something that Burrow just absolutely excels in uh, with with, with the Bengals and, you know, back in his days at LSU for sure.
2: It is cool, though, like, because obviously, like, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, they're all so adept at handling those back shoulders, but it's, like, not an easy throw to make, and there's definitely nuances between, like, leading a guy on, like, a straight nine ball – and putting it right on that back shoulder and it's just it's so money whenever defenses actually give them the opportunity and of course that was the big issue defenses weren't giving them opportunities so. it's a lot harder of a route to have success with when you're playing cover two all the time so you know i think once again like this offseason is going to be about making sure the offense is to a point where you can put defenses in the situations where they have no choice but to give you those opportunities because it is it was already really good out of the box when Burrow got into the league. And it's just like he was having Trent Irwin, like, you know, being a successful threat on some of those routes. So like the, the, the sky is the limit with it. And it's good that Kinnett, he, he can definitely see that. I don't love Kidna now because he coaches Lakota, Lakota East instead of, instead of Lakota West. So I'm, I'm worried that he's going <laughs> to make that program a little bit better, but
1: I guess he's still all right. Yeah. Yeah. This is a little bit on the injury front, and we'll talk about a positive update with this, Kind of negative one, though. DJ Reader held out of minicamp uh, dealing with a toe injury. I think there's a couple of elements with this. Number one, you know, I think to his credit, or I guess some people uh, dismay for some people, uh, you know, Zach Taylor's kind of taken a little bit of a, a white glove treatment when it comes to injuries and treatment and rest and veteran rest and all of that. And really, I know the injury bug hit the Bengals a lot harder last year. But, you know, that 2021 run, they were really healthy through that year. And I think there was a lot of uh, a focus on main, you know, injury maintenance, um, you know, health, all of that. And, you know, making sure that guys continue to be healthy and that paid dividends for them last year. I know that they tried to do that last year. There was kind of some freak stuff with Jamar Chase's, um, you know, the the hip injury. And then, of course, Reader had his own knee injury as well. Thankfully, that wasn't as serious as originally thought. But, uh, you know, that's also maybe why right now it's like, hey, DJ, let's – you're in the last year of your deal. You're uber important to the defense and the run defense and all of that. You know this isn't really the time to push it. And so let's just kind of you know play it play it easy here.
2: I've heard of Gal before, but I didn't. It, it didn't sound um, like something that I wanted to research. So like I, I know <laughs> what it is. Or like I've heard of it, but yeah, it's just something that's just like limiting him right now. Like he was still taking reps. I think at least partially minicamp. But, yeah, it's just about, like, you know, just take it easy, you know, do what you got to do. But I will say, though, because he is a topic of is he a potential extension candidate? Should they resign him next offseason? He's going to be 29, I think, at the end of the season or maybe during the season. And while this is not, like, an issue that will take him out of games at all, I think people underestimate how much teams care about how a player's medical report continues to stack. And when you're talking about a team that continually just avoids their contracts or players who are near or above 30 years old, it's something that you can't necessarily like ignore, especially because he was coming off a year where he missed a lot of time with another knee injury. So like the injuries are real with Reader, and you wonder like, okay, he's still a nose tackle, like he doesn't need to play a thousand snaps a year, anyways, but just something to keep in mind you know like it's it's like these things aren't necessarily going to go away with with him you know the older that he gets so
1: i don't yeah i don't know a ton about gout either my understanding of it i did have a friend who um who had it and uh you know sometimes it is in older people but sometimes it is either a hereditary issue issue or just an issue that just you know you just your body has it's um i think it has something sometimes to do with either your your liver building up too much uh enzymes that create you know, whatever, uh, acid and joints, that sort of thing. And it causes stiffness, soreness, that sort of thing. Um, and you really, what it does is it limits range of motion. Um, there's pain involved obviously. And, you know, it's usually in an ankle, you know, your big toes, that sort of thing, certain joints like that. So, um, you know, it, it can be managed, my understanding, it can be managed with diet and medication, uh, or, or one or the other type of thing. So we'll see. I'm not a medical professional, but I mean, I've, I've heard the term a little bit. Um, and like I said, I had a buddy who um, had it, and he used to kind of complain about certain things when it would flare up, and it would, it would go, you know, it would go, come and go, right? It's just one of those things where it would go, it would he'd have a problem and then it would come come back and go away and all kinds of different things. And a lot of times he just had to manage uh, his diet. I think he was on medication. I don't really remember, but um, it's usually one or the other or both sometimes if it's severe. So um, this hasn't seemingly been something that has regularly bothered uh, DJ Reader. So we'll see, but I'm not getting into his personal medical history. That's just kind of what I know a little bit about gout, (laughs) Um, uh, very little about it. But anyway, uh, again, I think it's just, you know, being precautionary and, and taking their time and, and making sure that everybody's kind of full go by the time training camp comes around um we're going to get out of here in just a couple minutes just going over some headlines with the cincinnati Bengals as mandatory mini camp uh, kind of w- was done this week and a lot of different sites sounds headlines that sort of thing uh, if you are new here welcome please feel free to subscribe to our youtube channel show icon is above my guy john cheering up at the corner there Click that, click the subscribe button, click the bell to be notified when we go live, when new content is available. We're going to be hitting it hard throughout the summer and obviously into training camp in the regular season. So you're going to want to get all of the content there. You're going to want to subscribe to the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel through your favorite audio streamer. Leave us a review if you can, whether that's on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all of the major ones we are there. So go subscribe to that. Of course, keep it to cincyjungle.com for your Bengals news, opinions, analysis. And go check out what my guy John is doing on the writing side from ADZ Sports as well. Go go check out his great work. We're gonna we're gonna close this up here, John, with a little bit of good news. Um, and of course, if you have other other elements or other news bits that I missed that you wanna you wanna talk about, uh, let's let's do that. But this I thought was good news, and I mentioned this a little earlier in terms of like Dan Horde's, you know, five Twitter things uh, that he notices from practice, and I thought this was good news here. Speaking of looking good after knee surgery, how about the, quote, jackhammer feet displayed by Chidobe Awuzie, and his quote was, I feel good, I'm not going to lie, uh, it's just a matter of being patient. Even though I feel good, I know there are still steps to take in the process uh, to be 100%. So here he is right I'm here. Sure. Um, Wait, yeah. plant so still taking it easy there. Uh, should we do it one more time let's do one more time. yeah let's do it one more time people can see it. Um, you see the quick feet you like that Yeah. jackhammer feet ladder drill whatever you want to whatever you want to call that there um, so looking pretty good I know there's some questions. I know there's a lot of excitement with DJ Turner coming into the fold. I know there's a lot of excitement, and it sounds like Cam Taylor-Britt is doing and exhibiting all of the things to show a guy who's going to take the next step in year two. So excited about that. But, uh, I mean, Wuzier was playing as a top ten, top five corner before his injury, the last couple of years. He was playing outstanding football. And what was funny was when he was brought in, he didn't come in with the fanfare because Trey Wayne's was the guy they they threw a boatload of money at. I think the year prior, right? So Trey Wayne's was the guy that everybody was like, "Hey, this is you know this is the big ticket guy." Uzi got a nice, you know, a nice contract himself, but he came in and I I think has you know outperformed the contract, or I guess a- expectations of him and really has been a-, a borderline lockdown guy before that injury.
2: I remember him coming out of Colorado. I think is where he went. And he was a really good athlete. Like he was six nine three cone, like around four high four threes forty. So he was a good athlete, right? The difference being now, like when you're 28, you have wear and tear on you. This is like his seventh, I think, year in the NFL. The guys who last long are the guys that take care of their bodies the most, and obviously being a good athlete at the, at the start definitely helps with that. But when you're an elite athlete and you have the work ethic and the training regiment and just the mental capacity of 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 Woozie. like he's all those absolutely like he's one of the best guys just taking care of his body and taking care of his mental and making sure that he's ahead of schedule and things like that's not even eight months after his torn ACL yeah. and like he he looks 100 percent like the, it, there's a reason why I think he just kind of found his footing here in Cincinnati one lunar most really good coach who knows what he's doing with cornerbacks and two He's just always kind of been that guy. Like, he's always been a good athlete, but he knows how to take care of his body. He knows how to train, and he knows how to refresh when he needs to. So it, I guess it shouldn't be surprising that he's looking this amazing, but it's also just a testament that these guys are just so much faster and quicker than you think, and when, what they look like on TV. When, you, when you're when you next to these guys and they're moving like that, it's truly just an awe thing. Like, w- what we saw, like, yeah, it's a football player, but th- that's so much more impressive than it actually looks. I swear to God.
1: It is, and it's encouraging to see that, but it's also encouraging from a couple of weeks ago some of the stuff we saw from Lael Collins, too, in his recovery. I mean, he, he blew out all three ligaments there, all three biggies uh, in that knee. And so, you know, these these didn't happen at the beginning of last year. You know, Uzia was kind of more middle-ish, um, and Lael was at the very end of the year. So, I mean, it, it, the, the comebacks from these guys, and obviously it shows the – Excellent, you know, training, rehab, all of that that they've done on their own that the Bengals have also probably provided and just, you know, where medicine has evolved from, you know, even five years ago, 10 years ago when guys would suffer these injuries and the, the, the setbacks. To so I, I remember the, how big it was. When Carson Palmer blew out his knee in 05 and he came back in 06 and started that first game, I remember everybody was in awe because that just didn't happen. I remember he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, like, you know, running through a pool type of thing and all kinds of stuff in his rehab. And that just didn't happen back in 05, at least not that quickly. And now guys just keep coming back from these things quicker and quicker. And it's good news for the Bengals' sake there that some of these important players are are seemingly on the mend – We'll see what happens through training camp and in week one. But, uh, again, more hands on deck, veterans, all of that. That's that's going to help this team.
2: Yes, I think it's it's just the Woozie, Jonah, and Lyle who are still more or less rehabbing. I think Joe Bocce was apparently non-uniformed the last day of camp, but he was banging out home runs at Logan Wilson's softball um, event. I think he won the home run derby, so shout out to him. That you did?
1: Time. Yeah, he did, yeah. Nice. Nice. I saw. I I caught some of the some of the headlines from that, but uh, you know, I didn't. I didn't get. I didn't have consistent internet service while I was out at sea and all kinds of different things. So, um, yeah. I, hey, I just gotta say Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Happy Father's Day to um, you know the Bengals fans. I know a lot of a lot of great Bengals fans are are great dads, and they show you know they show off their sons and daughters and you know they they pass on that Bengal sickness to their you know to their kids and whatnot and so really cool and and happy father's day hopefully you enjoy yourself whether it's grilling chilling golfing whatever whatever your thing is this weekend spend some time with uh whether you are a dad and your kids you you know if you're you and your dad father figure whatever the case may be happy father's day to all of the the, the great dads out there we we give a little salute to you on this Father's Day weekend. And thanks for everybody. And thank you, John, for uh, hopping on here again. I I publicly thank you. I I didn't think I was going to be back this week, didn't think we were going to be doing a show this week. And I said, you know, we got to do a little something here. This was one of the busier weeks, I guess, in terms of headlines for the Bengals in, in a little while here. So I was like, you know, let's just hop on here, talk about some things. And I love talking about things with someone else, especially someone else smarter than I that it's not a monologue here but i appreciate you hopping on last minute dude
2: hey man you're the father of bengals podcasting so it's an honor (laughs) so happy father's day to you happy father's day to tim my dad i'll see you on sunday and yeah happy father's day to everyone else
1: yeah that's awesome take care everybody have a good weekend we'll be back at it next week headlines our main show probably listener questions we've got some other fun videos and different things we're doing that'll be up on the youtube channel gotta subscribe Got to hit the thumbs up on this video and others if you go back in the in the archives and check out and you like what we're doing. We appreciate that. Go subscribe once again to the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel on your favorite audio streamer. For John, I'm Anthony. Have a great Father's Day weekend. Hootay, we'll talk to you soon.